This is Hebrews 12, 14 through 29. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable agents, angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Don, thank you so much for reading. You know, when you want to prevent something bad from happening, some harm coming to someone that you care about. There are definitely things you do. There are steps you take. Even in our world, it's not that hard to look and see places where someone is trying to prevent something bad from happening, and so they take some specific steps. So I think of someone trying to alert people to danger coming. And so think about even on the highway or some road where there are orange barrels and there's signs, blinking signs, just cluing someone in that you may need to be careful here. You may want to pay close attention to what's going on. If someone is wanting to like block access to something, I was even in a house this week where there was a baby gate. And so I was trying to like block some access so that the baby didn't go all over and get into things that they probably don't you know what they would be getting into. If you want to prevent like major damage from coming. So this is why we would have smoke detectors. It would at least clue you into like there could be a problem here before it just got catastrophic, before there was all kinds of damage done. And even think about the, someone trying to prevent something intentionally malicious from happening. So imagine the IT specialist who is designing and redesigning and redesigning a firewall to try to protect, try to protect someone from hacking in or something damaging a particular organization or an individual. Or think about someone trying to prevent something even unintentionally from happening. So this is why 
got a friend that works basically on an assembly line doing quality control, occasionally pulling off some things to make sure it is, yeah, it meets standard, it meets spec. And so there are all sorts of ways that we think about like, okay, and we don't want something bad to happen, so let's try to prevent it. Should sort of hold that in your mind, like how do we prevent bad things from happening? Because I do think this passage of Hebrews 12 really leans into that pretty hard. And I will just acknowledge like what Don read, there's what, what 16 verses there that he read. There's so much there we will not begin to unpack all of this. We could like look at it all week long and I hope you actually do spend some time with it this coming week. But I do want to think through that idea of how do we prevent like spiritually harmful things from happening. But before we do that, it just would be helpful for a moment to kind of lean into Hebrews 12 because we looked at that chap- this same chapter last week. We talked about, and if you were here, you remember that we're called to run a race with endurance, and endurance gives us the idea of at least two things going on. Endurance means it's probably going to be hard, and it's going to take a long time. So the race we're called to run as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, It's going to take some time, and it's likely going to be hard, so we're called to run our race with endurance. But the first part of Hebrews 12 also talks about discipline, particularly like enduring discipline. And we talked about that word, that it's not just only and always punitive and corrective, like shame on you, and we're going to whip you back into shape. A lot of the discipline of the Lord is formative. It is shaping. It's meant to make us into a, a different person, actually the person that God always has designed us to be. So it's not only punitive. Certainly it is. And it's not only corrective. Certainly at times it is, but it's more than that. The idea is that there's a plan. There's a purpose for the race we're called to run, for, for the discipline we're to grow from. And even as Dan was talking a moment ago of like what we are building our life on, I I was reminded of the verse that is like starts off the passage that Don read in verse 14. Verse 14 of Hebrews 12 puts it this way. And it's kind of this call that this path we're supposed to walk. To strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see God. Strive for peace with everyone and holiness, complete dedication to God without which no one will see the Lord. So this is the call. This is the call for all of us. This is what we're striving for. It really sounds very, very similar to me like the great commands of Jesus, one of which was to love people, right? And here we're called to strive strive for peace, like well-being, relational well-being that we're not bickering and quarreling with people, but we're with everybody that we can. We're aiming to be in right relationship with them, love people. But the great commandment that Jesus gave us is also to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love God. Complete dedication to him. This is striving for the holiness, the things that would set us apart, striving for that, without which you won't see the Lord. You're never going to see, really see the Lord unless you live in this way. So there is the aim, and then there's another aim kind of at the end of this passage that we're looking at today, and that's found in verse 28 that says, therefore, let us be grateful. So here's another goal with our life. As we run the race with endurance, we're to strive for peace, and we're to strive for the holiness, and we're also to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then you also see, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We're to be grateful, grace that goes to work deep in our hearts and not a sense of entitlement, but a a sense of gratitude. And we're also meant to offer our lives up as an offering of worship, an offering of praise. And that is 
Like that offering isn't just what we do in singing. If you only think of worship as like what we do for a few minutes here singing together, that actually will be short-sighted because I think a lot of you, some of you offered up an offering of worship this week when you were a good friend to a friend in need. And some of you, you saw your job as an opportunity, your calling, your vocation, whether you got paid or volunteered or whatever you were called to do, you saw that as a place where you offer up your hours, your week, maybe even as you study, you offer that up. I, I, you did the best you could in the environment you were, and that was an offering that was pleasing to the Lord. Or maybe it's teaching, or maybe it's sacrificing, or maybe it's parenting, or maybe it's caregiving. And I'm looking at people who offered up hours of their week as an offering to the Lord. This is what we want for our lives. This is actually not just what we want for us. This is what we want for, I'd say, everyone. Think of any group of people that you were, you were a part of this week. Think a group of people that maybe their faces come to mind as you think about who you maybe were in close association with, whether they're believers or not. Don't, don't we want this? That they would be able to live. Wouldn't we want this for every individual, every individual that we come into contact with? That they would be able to live in peace and harmony with relationships around them, that they would live with holiness, like dedicated to the purpose God designed them, that they would live a, a life filled with gratitude, that they would fill, live a life of offering worship to the Lord. There's a call. There's a call for our lives to look a certain way. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't just give us a call to live a certain way. He also gives warnings. I mean, the book of Hebrews is filled with warnings. And part of the reason I think those warnings exist is because you and I contend to, even in our walk with God, like get in this mode of autopilot. And we don't realize there are dangers. Sometimes we get spiritually dull instead of spiritually sensitive. And Hebrews just will not allow us to get spiritually dull. It's like, wake up, be alert, take some steps, listen to the warnings there are several warnings all throughout the book of Hebrews, but even the passage that was just read, I, I counted four. You might count more. And warnings aren't always easy to hear, but they are necessary, and they're one of the ways God uses like, to prevent us from spiritually harming ourselves as he gives warnings. The first is in verse 15. The first part of verse 15. See to it that no one fails, falls short, of obtaining the grace of God. It actually is a warning about quitting. See to it, no one fails. Give attention to the potential, the real potential that we need here. That I could start a race, that you could start a race, and then quit. And the terms of Hebrews is what would happen there if you quit on this would be a failure to obtain the grace of God. It fits with the parables of Jesus where he would say, like, think of the plant that like grows up a lot, but then just withers and dies. Or think of the person that decides to build a tower but didn't count the cost. So the picture is like, we could think we're going to run and then find ourselves a few steps in and stop. We face a difficult trial. We face maybe some discipline that seems like it's coming from the Lord and we quit. A failure to obtain grace. 
So the idea is that God has just this wealth of grace, this, these gifts that he wants to flood our lives with, like a, an infinite supply of this grace. Grace to bring you all the way home. Amazing grace that takes you through many dangers, toils, and snares. Grace that is available to you, Hebrews would say, when, when you need it the most. Grace to help you in your time of need. Grace that is there when, yes, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace that when we've been there 10,000 years, like we've no less days to sing about this grace, praising God for his grace. And the idea is, be very, very careful that after having started and experiencing some of this grace, a God who is so good, a God who shows such loving kindness, that for whatever reason, whatever disappointment you endure, whatever hypocrisy that you're exposed to, you say, you know what, I don't think it's worth it anymore. And you turn back. It's a warning, isn't it? It's a warning about quitting. That's the first warning. But also in verse 15, there's another warning. Do you see it? It's in the second part of verse 15. It says, see to it also that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it others are defiled. That idea of root of bitterness, that actually came from somewhere. The writer of Hebrews actually is going all the way back into Deuteronomy. The words of Moses, and he's kind of pulling that phrase, uh, a bitter root, a root that causes bitterness. Listen to this passage in Deuteronomy 29. It sounds so similar to this one in Hebrews that we're reading. Be sure that there is no man, woman, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Yeah, be sure there is no root among you that bears poisonous and bitter fruit. And when someone hears the words of this oath, he may consider himself exempt, like this doesn't apply to me, saying, I will have peace even though I follow my own stubborn heart. But this will lead to the destruction of the well-watered land as well as the dry land. That passage in Deuteronomy reminds me of another warning, and that warning is like baked into Hebrews here, and it's a warning about just contamination. Contaminating, like again, there's a root that springs up, and when it bears fruit, it just contaminates everything around it. It's as though something bad is taking hold, and that root grows and turns out to be a bitter, poisonous plant, contaminating influence. So, I mean, you could even look at the word bitterness, and that certainly gives you a clue as to what happens. I mean, do we not know there could be something done to you, done against you, that lands in your soul like you just can't let it go? And in the end, it contaminates you. It clouds everything. This thing that happened maybe weeks, months, years, decades, now clouds everything, and it doesn't just affect you. The bitterness has begun to drive everybody away from you, to make their lives more miserable because you are. Do you see how this works? It's a, it's a warning, isn't it, that there's a contaminating influence. And that could be from lots of things. I mean, certainly you could have a love of money and it starts as something small and grows and grows and grows. And all of a sudden it's become a contaminating influence in your life. You can't even look at a world. You can't even look at individuals without some glimpse of looking through money or coveting. And now, now your relationships, now many are impacted by this root that actually grew out of control. 
You can imagine gossip. I mean, you just say a word about this person and a word about this person and this person, and all of a sudden, it just like spews poison to others who have to listen to you just systematically take others down. Or it could be anger. Something is in your heart and you just don't, like, you don't address it and you become more and more angry. And then could that, I mean, all of us probably know of uh, situations where that turns into verbal abuse or physical abuse. It's like a bitter root grows and then terrible fruit is produced. It could certainly be pride. Or what about prejudice? What about for whatever reason you see things through a lens and you decide that those people are the other people and you begin to see everything through that lens and do you think that not, does that not grow and grow and many others are impacted by a prejudiced heart? I mean, we see this. We, we should see this clearly. It makes trouble for you. It contaminates the whole community. You're messed up by this or I'm messed up by this, but it doesn't just stop there. But actually, a whole community is messed up. We're hearing warnings, and as I read Hebrews, I don't necessarily go, man, that seems far from anything that could happen these days. Those are just Bible stories there, but this seems far. I mean, does that not ring true? Do these warnings not actually have a lot of traction in 2022? Is God not speaking to us really clearly through these warnings? There's another one in verse 16. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Those words kind of give us a window into a certain lifestyle, and it really is a warning about devaluing, devaluing your relationship with God and His ability to speak to the purpose of your life. The idea of unholy, some translations say profane. It's like a, uh, something that is so common, it like writes God out of the equation. This passage is, like, is reminding us that there is a way to live our life where we just don't take into account that God has a design for things, a design for your life, a design that when he made you male or female, a design for your sexuality, and he's marked out the way the people of God should live in a sexually pure way, and then there's a, another way of living, and there's a, there's a warning here. It's a warning that just transcends time, transcends cultures, and it says, see to it, be warned. When you choose like, I'm not going to honor God with my sexuality. When you devalue your relationship with him, there's no sense of belonging to him. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. It's like, you know what? It's my life. I'll live it however I want to. There's no sense when you devalue your relationship with him of his purpose on your life, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what I do, we're to do all to the glory of God. There's, there's no respect for holy things where Jesus would say, be holy for your father in heaven is holy. Or Peter would say, we're a holy nation. God's will is that there would be like distinctive markers. And when we, we devalue our relationship with God, eventually it shows up. And we can, we can say whatever we want to, but when, when that just is not a priority to us, it looks different. And when it is a priority to us, when we actually value and elevate our relationship with God, it actually shows up in different ways. It shows up when you are joyful in the midst of of the most horrendous circumstances. It's not that like you don't grieve. Of course you grieve, but you find joy in, in even what God is doing through the most difficult circumstances. It shows up when you're patient and everybody else would go like, man, I would be so impatient, but there you are 
thinking like you're, you don't feel like a spiritual hero, but you find yourself being able to be patient. And where does that come from? As even again, Dan reminded us, that could never come from us. A level of patience that it's required to walk the Christian life. It must come through God working through us and in us. When you show courage and you could flake out, when you are sacrificing, when your speech is like building people up instead of tearing people down, when you like hold back, when you show self-control, you reserve, like you don't devastate people with your just emotional attacks, your verbal attacks, but you hold those in reserve. It's showing I value my relationship with God when you're faithful over the long haul. There's like a little snapshot of what it looks like when you don't value, when you devalue your relationship with God. It says don't be sexually immoral or unholy like Esau in verse 16. Like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. It takes us all the way back to Genesis 25 where what Esau did in just like basic terms is all the privileges that he would have for being the firstborn, he just threw all that away so his stomach would be filled one time. And so this is a warning against like, do you not treat like the promises of God? Like, do you not value that? And if you think like you can just, well, I'll just kind of turn my life around whenever I want to turn it around. It's like, don't presume on that. Verse 17 says, for you know that even afterward, when Esau desired to inherit the blessing, like he had to change of mind. Like, what did I do? I, I, I want that blessing back. He was rejected. He found no opportunity, no chance to repent. Even though he sought it with tears, that repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, which results in a change of life, a change of behavior. And it's not as if we can just summon all that on a whim. It's not as if you can go, you know, I'm going to do my thing. And then when I want God in my life, I know where he is. And I'll, I'll just reach out to him then. You may think that's what you want to do, but you have no guarantees of that. You have no guarantees that you will just walk away and ever have any desire to come back to him. We can't afford to play that, which is why, which is why we have this warning. The implication here for all of us listening, even the readers there, is that like, for sake of argument, let's, let's assume you haven't crossed that that, that threshold yet. So if you're feeling like I have devalued my relationship with God, it's shown up in a sadly immoral or an unholy life. Like I've shown that I devalue this. Then today is the day to see to it that you don't keep walking that path. If there's a desire to repent, count that as a gift of God, as him calling you back to the path that is best for you. You actually see a fourth warning if you skip a few verses down to verse 25. And it's just like very, very frank clear warning. Verse 25 says, see that you don't refuse him who is speaking. It's a warning about rejecting. It's a warning about tuning out God's voice. It's like you have to pay close attention to the one who is speaking. His voice has to be loud. His word has to win in your life. You can't afford to reject it after hearing him speak. And we have these prophetic warnings even in this passage that if you do, if you like tune it down, yeah, I hear you, God. Actually, I'm going to do it my own way. You tune him out. You turn it down. You refuse the one speaking. Then judgment comes. Quitting, contaminating, devaluing, rejecting. So those sit as warnings. But actually, there are just these little words that I want to call your attention to to make sure 
like we actually feel some of the weight of these warnings. You actually find them in a couple places. Hebrews 12, 15. Right, this is the way the warning began. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it. You know, I feel like I could just run by that in Bible reading and not really settle in and go, oh, like that, it's like make every effort. Like be on guard. Like don't let this, like not just for yourself but others, like see to it. Or there in verse 25, see you don't refuse him who is speaking. Like make sure that we don't, don't mess here. The stakes seem high, not just individually but even collectively to a church. That's why, and we're not going to be able to unpack all of this, but that kind of, in the idea of seeing to it and taking extra care and taking extra precaution and making sure that none of us, like, fall short of this sort of thing. I wonder if even a different kind of word set overlaid on this would be helpful to you. I wonder if you began to think through of, like, I wonder what early detection would look like, and I wonder what aggressive intervention might look like, and I wonder what long-term pattern might look like, and I wonder what team support. So I, I give some words there to think through this, to think through what does it look like to be early in the detection of your heart drifting and, and your temptation to quit. Again, we don't have time. Like, maybe I would just recommend this week you taking some time to think through what it would look like to apply this to all the warnings? What if early on, before your heart went too far away from the Lord, before contamination, that bitter root grew? What if you were able to detect it? What if things started going on in your heart because it was so guarded that you began to realize some things that mean way too much to you than they should, and you began to, like, instead of getting far down the road of quitting and deciding you're not running anymore, what if there was that early detection? How would you know if something was really taking hold that would destroy you? Does God's word play a role in that early detection? What about aggressive intervention? What, where do I get this? It's somewhat from the words of Jesus, right? That he says, if like your eye is offending you, if your hand like caught it off, like aggressively intervene so that you don't keep going down this path. What are the things that might, even if it hurts, like get cut off. I, and yeah, that's metaphorical language that Jesus gives. But if that's a metaphor, what, what is the reality he's pointing us to? Like you don't want to like derail your walk with the Lord. So what is it that, like it's time to quit playing games. What is it in your life to go like, you've made enough excuses. I've made enough excuses. It's time to deal with this and deal with it firmly. What, what kind of steps, what kind of limits, what kind of things would you need to block? What sorts of things would you need to inject into your life? What long-term patterns? It's probably not rocket science. What help, what disciplines, what structures, what habits of grace would make it harder to sin and easier to do right? I mean, so it's not just about like cutting one thing off at one point in time. It's like, what are the rhythms? You know, things I do daily tend to matter to me. Things that I do weekly, like gathering for worship, tend to like form me and shape me as they shape you. Like, what are those things? They become long-term patterns. And when I think about it, like, you are not alone. So I think of, like, we all know of, like, support groups. But I have to ask, who's helping you? This is where you may actually have a faulty view of church and a relationship with God. You may think church is about, like, you come in 
and you worship God, and then you leave, and that's kind of the experience, and you have this very personal relationship with God. I'd say, absolutely a personal relationship with God, but I would ask, who has God put around you to help? Uh, Another question, who have you invited in for their help? Who knows your vulnerabilities? Who knows what makes you tempted to quit? Who knows what's a contaminating influence? Because we're different. We have different struggles. Who knows that? Who knows you? Who knows when to call? Who knows how to hold you accountable? Who knows whether you need like a stern warning reminding of God's word or a gentle word of love and coaching and helping? Who knows you that well? Who have you invited in? And just so we know it's not a one-way street, who are you investing in? And if, if you can't think of anybody, I think you're short-selling all that God has for you in your walk with him. Who have you invited in? Who are you investing in? If you kind of come up empty, well, then that's God's grace that however many days you have in this life, you know things need to change for your benefit and for the benefit of others. It's a call to action, and it feels heavy, and it's a lot to think through. The writer gives warning after warning after warning after warning. And some of it seems like, frankly, and this would be spiritually exhausting if I just had to like stay at such a high sense of alert. But I love that the writer of Hebrews doesn't just give warnings. Actually, kind of woven through these warnings is this vision, this picture. It's actually a contrasting picture, a contrasting vision. So it's actually a contrasting vision of two mountains. We have Mount Sinai, described in verse 18, 19, 20, and 21, this terrifying, gloomy, dark. God's word coming from Mount Sinai, the Ten Commands, the Ten Words of the Law, to which everybody, like, when God's done talking, is like, please don't speak anymore. It's just so heavy and it lands so, so strong on them. But it compares that in verse 22 to another mountain that we're coming to. So yes, there are warnings, but I just want to invite us to come to this other mountain in verse 22, that all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, you have come, you are approaching Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You are coming. And you may think like, I am a wreck. I am so inconsistent. I sin more than I care to remember this past week. You are approaching. In Christ, you are approaching innumerable angels and festival gathering. You are approaching the assembly of the firstborn, the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You are approaching Jesus. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Every one of those, like, you've come to this, you've come to this, you've come to this, is just a reminder that actually what God gives us is not just warnings, but a taste of something so much better. It's a taste. There's some already dimensions here, like already coming to the church of the firstborn with all the privileges and special choice that God has made you firstborn. You're coming to the place where your names, you have been enrolled in heaven. There's something that's settling about that. You're coming to the, the living God, the God who is alive and the God who gives life. You are coming to the God who is the judge of all. 
your coming to the spirits of the righteous who have now, ahead of us, have been brought to completion, those followers of Jesus who have reached before us and reached the final land. You are coming to Jesus, who's your mediator. You are coming to what he has done. And you're coming to the blood which speaks a better word. If Abel from Genesis 4 spoke a word of judgment and condemnation, the blood of Jesus speaks grace. This is what you're coming to. This is what we wake up to every day. A taste of it now. And then we also have a sense of something even more, a taste of it now, yes. That's why verse 25 says, yeah, make sure that you don't refuse him who's speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, which is talking about Moses, much less, like how are we going to escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? From Sinai, his his voice shook the earth. But now he's promised, I'll shake not only the earth but the heavens. Yet once more, there will be the removal of things that are shaken in order that the things that cannot be shaken would remain. In light of this, we can be grateful. We receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and we offer to God acceptable worship. Our God is a consuming fire. We have more than warnings. We have a picture of a mountain, and we also can believe the promises of something permanent. We have the taste of something better, and we have the promise of something permanent. The picture is this, like God, and again, the picture is God shaking this earth, heavens and earth, so that everything that shouldn't be here is like cleared out and removed. And on the other side of God shaking the earth, what remains is you, if you're a follower of his. You possessing a kingdom of righteousness and joy and justice that cannot be shaken. We have the warnings of a God who loves you too much to just say, you just do it your way and we'll see how it all works out in the end. He loves you too much to do that. So he gives you a warning and another and another and another. And then he gives you these pictures like, keep your eyes on where we are going. There's something so much better. And realize that something, this earth and everything that seems to be valuable here is going to get shaken. And only a few things are going to remain. One of those is you and the kingdom of God. In light of that, I have to ask you, as we talk about coming to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, have you come to him? Have you come to him? Like, are you trusting in him? If you're not, what would what would be the obstacle of coming to him? What makes you think my way is better than his? Living my life under my rule is better than living my life under God's rule. What would be in the way? And wouldn't today be the perfect day to come to him in faith? You don't have everything figured out, but you know what he did mediating a new covenant. Dying on the cross was for you. Would you come to him? Or what if like Something that was said in Hebrews has triggered an alarm in your heart. You go, I'm not okay. There's a change of course that's available to you today. Grace that's not taken for granted. 
a desire to not quit? And what if that vision of something better is going to sustain you through a number of hard things that you're going to have to face in the days and weeks ahead that, that come ahead? Can I ask God to give us the help that we need through this passage? Focusing our eyes on this Jerusalem, this heavenly Jerusalem we're headed to. Let me pray. Father, do what only you can do through the work of your spirit, and that is open hearts to believe and to recognize that um, your words have been read. And where I faithfully represented that, I pray you would land these words in our hearts that whatever warnings that are going off, we would respond to. Whatever pictures we need to see, I pray we would see them clearly. And Father, I am grateful that when all of our life is so shaken that it does even shake us to the core, we are grateful that you will still there be our refuge and strength, our present help in the time of trouble. So Lord, keep us firm and strong, even as you shake the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.